Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast. This is Dr. Mike Roizen, your host, and this is episode 1088B. The B, always great guests, and we have a special guest for you today. I, special because she's um, both interested in a topic that I think will be more and more important as time goes on, and she's the lead researcher. Interesting also because of her history and how she got there. But we're not going to concentrate on that much. I'm going to let you read it in her book, which is, Is Cancer Inevitable? She's at, well, to give you her history, she is a relatively unique uh, past history. I'm going to let her tell us a little bit about how she got here. She is appointed to the National Cancer Advisory Board by President Biden as a top five researcher. She is the E.V. McCollum Chair of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. And she's a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor and co-program leader of the Cancer Invasion and Metastases Program, also at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. So almost unique in the field of that um, was dominated by men until very recently. Um, her name, well, and, and this is, it is Dr. Ashani Weeratna. Um, W-E-E-R-A-R-A-T-N-A. Her book is on Amazon, Is Cancer Inevitable? As usual, we are brought to you by Life's First Naturals, the makers of or the producers of bovine colostrum in capsule form. Randomized controlled trials they have done show um, that in Italian soccer players, they have many fewer days of illness due to their sport and due to GI and upper respiratory problems because they've been taking in this randomized and large set of randomized controlled trials, uh, bovine colostrum, less problems in gut due to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including aspirin and ibuprofen, again shown in randomized controlled trials in both animals and humans. Um, Let's get down to is cancer inevitable and what makes cancer a disease of aging? Um, so, Dr. Weera Ratna, um, and I keep, and I got to keep apologizing because I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. Um, the cancer s- increases with age, and some of that obviously. Um, has to do with our immune system weakening with age. Is that the major problem? So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, second of all, please feel free to call me Ashani because that's a lot easier than Ruratna. And uh, third of all, to answer your question, certainly the immune system plays a large part. However, it is not by any stretch of the imagination the only factor. Tell us about other factors. So um, obviously, I'm going to come back to that later because I was talking to Dr. Timothy Chan 
here at the Cleveland Clinic, who is the head of the immuno-oncology project. And I know a little bit about that because of those conversations he and I have had. But tell us what else is going on and what's different about the aging microenvironment. Sure. So it turns out that, you know, as we age, there are several cell types in our skin um, that are non-tumor cells, that are normal cells. So for example, I work on melanoma, which is a cancer of the skin, one of the deadliest cancers of the skin. And in fact, it's responsible for the vast majority of deaths from skin cancer. Uh, The cause of melanoma basically is tanning. and that really underlies over 90% of melanomas. So uh, my first thing I would say is please don't tan and wear your sunscreen. Um, For the question that you just asked me, one of the things that we have discovered is that the normal cells in the skin known as fibroblasts undergo changes that are age-related. And those cells are kind of interesting because, you know, they don't tend to turn over like, cell types in um, the other cell types in the body, instead they age along with us. And when those cells are damaged or die, uh, they don't uh, replicate. There's no new cells that come in to replace them, really. They kind of stretch out. And as we age, you'll notice that your skin starts to get thinner. Um, There are other physical changes, including wrinkles, for example. And all of those changes contribute to the way a tumor cell that has been initiated or primed, if you will, sits in that space and then becomes able to start to grow, proliferate, and leave that space to metastasize to other areas of the body. So we've been super interested in what are the biophysical factors that underlie cancer metastasis uh, during aging, and also what are the secreted factors from these aging fibroblasts that can affect tumor cell metastasis. So... Aged cells, um, which we know we call senolytic cells, and I don't know if that's the same type of cell mm, in the skin. Not the same thing, no. Okay, so <laughs> they're not the same thing. So senolytic cells in other areas, such as the heart, make the cells around them function older. Um, so, is 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 this this is it any analogy to this? So it's very complicated. People often conflate senescence and aging um, because senescent cells are found in aged individuals. But it turns out that as we do more and more research, we're finding senescent cells in younger individuals as well. And the connections between senescence and aging, while there are several, are not um, a perfectly wrapped story in a perfectly wrapped package. So uh, we see, for example, with our aged fibroblasts that some of them are senescent and they bear some markers of senescence, but they don't, they still have different secretory profiles than senescent cells. And so really part of what my lab is trying to understand now is how do we, what is it that uncouples aging and senescence? Because they're not always the same thing. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but... Jim Allison's work was on malignant melanoma, was it not? Or, I mean, that's initial work. And so where it had a, used to have a uh, 1% five-year survival rate metastatic melanoma, he now believes that we'll be in the 60 to 80% cure rate after five years. 
Is 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 that still correct? Right. So as of right now, we're at about. Uh, so as of right now, um, for stage four melanoma, we're running at about twenty seven point five percent cure rate, which is amazing because for that disease, um, when people walked in the door with stage four melanoma, it was basically a death sentence. So the work that Jim Allison and other colleagues in the field have done has just been transformational. And it's the first time that we are seeing stage four patients live as long, you know, as they're living right now um, with almost no evidence of disease in many cases. We're talking with Dr. Ashani, um, and I um, am going to murder her last name again. Um, we're at Taratna. <laughs> Um, who is at Johns Hopkins, and I apologize, Ashani, um, who's written a really wonderful book called Is Cancer Inevitable? Um, but more than writing the book, she has done a marvelous job in helping all of us um, understand much more about uh, melanoma, both its prevention and what encourages metastases. Um, and you alluded to the fact, um, and in the book there is the, and, and I may be misreading it, so feel free to correct me, there's the fact that, that there are, um, if you will, anatomic spaces where the cells, ca where the melanoma, the cancer cells can almost hide okay. out until there's an opportune time to come to, to keep growing or to keep metastasizing. So talk to us a little bit about the geography or why that is. Is that just because the fibroblasts encase them and don't let them grow? Or what's the, what's the process? So I'm really excited that you asked me that question because we just got a um, provisional acceptance from Nature for a paper on exactly this topic today. So I'm super excited about that. And it was all the hard work of my amazing trainee, uh, Dr. Mitchell Fain, so uh, what Mitch found is that when we have tumors, and, and I want to, I want to just, I want, I've got to interrupt you now. But you know, this is the characteristic. This is the characteristic of a great scientist who gives credit to their mentees in their lab, oh. and so you can tell that Ashanti is a great scientist. No, Go ahead, tell us what Mitch did. <laughs> that's very kind. Thank you. Um, so what Mitch did was he found that when he implanted tumors in young versus aged mice, they would metastasize to the lung at the same rate. So you would find these tiny little cells, um, tiny little clusters of cells in both the in the lungs of both young and aged mice. However, if he waited a few weeks and he took the lungs of the young mice, those cells would be in sort of a sleepy, dormant state where they, were, they remained as these microscopic clusters in the young lung. So when he looked at the age lung at the same time point, they had grown out and taken over the entire lung, and they were large, overt metastases. And so what Mitch did was to go through and really start to unravel what were the mechanisms that were causing this completely different response in young and aged mice, because these tumors are genetically identical, and... Um, Mitch found that the fibroblasts of the lungs in the aged mice secreted a factor that inhibited an anti-growth uh, anti pathway 
in the melanoma cells that normally would have kept them dormant, but because they were faced with this inhibitor, they started to grow out. So um, that has been really fascinating because that tells us that aging really is a factor that drives tumor progression and proliferation. It also is, his work has really uncovered um, a really important and key understanding of what tumor dormancy means. And so something that might be of interest to your listeners is that tumor dormancy, especially in melanoma, is such a fascinating topic, right? So there was a study done several years ago, not by our lab, um, that showed that patients who who needed a kidney transplant were transplanted with kidneys that had come from patients who had had melanoma in an early stage, Those patients' melanoma had been removed decades ago. They were declared cancer-free, but then their organs, when donated to um, the the recipient patients in need of transplant, started to grow out very, very rapidly. So those tumor cells had been lying there, escaping detection, completely fast asleep, and then when they were implanted into the recipient. Uh, grew out, and they could genetically trace those tumor cells back to the original donors. So that was a really fascinating, um, you know, phenomenon. Now, let me get to a implication of what you said, because I may have missed this entirely, but I think it's important because it, again, implies that maybe we'll be able to do something about this in the future, you know, in a helpful way. So you at least as I understood it, you said the young fibroblasts secrete something that inhibits the cancer cell growth. That's right. Isolating that inhibitory protein um, or the gene that causes that inhibitory protein to be produced might give us another avenue of both a therapy for this and maybe of other cancers that have the same type of properties. That's, that's is correct, that yes. an implication? Or? Yes, targeting. So actually what it is is a, it's an inhibitor um, of the anti-growth molecule. So the inhibitor is actually secreted in the aged microenvironment. And so targeting that inhibitor ah. can keep the cells in dormancy, keep them asleep. Gotcha, okay. Now... Now, one of the things we have learned recently is that that also occurs with fasting. So, has this has have you done the fasting experiment in uh, in the mice yet? We have not. Um, actually, a, a, a really fascinating new study in science by my good friend uh, Dr. Vishwa Deep Dixit from Yale uh, show has shows the immunological implications of caloric restriction in mice. And uh, that's something we're really hoping to collaborate with him on to move forward. So it's a great question because we have not done it yet, but it's in our plans for the future. Now, Dr. Chan, Timothy Chan, uh, in talking to mm-hmm. me about T-cell um, immunocompetence and its decline with aging, said that one of the things that they think is important and might be able to be uh, used is 
hormone therapy. So both in women, though, going through menopause and in men, the decline of testosterone with age seems to um, be a cause of the T-cell lacking some of its avidity as it gets older. Um, one is, is that true with melanoma um, and with T-cell fighting melanoma? And what role do you think that plays in, in this whole sequence? Uh, so that's a great question. And Tim definitely would know a lot more about that than I do. Um, I will say that in melanoma, something that's very interesting that we've observed is that there is a difference between the way males and females respond to therapy. Uh, so it's very clear that there are hormonal differences that underlie this. Uh, I wish I had a more comprehensive answer for you, but I'm afraid I don't. If you can project 10 years in the future with the advances in um, checkpoint inhibitors, with the advances in your work, I guess, of, of fibroblast inhibitor inhibitors, <laughs> Um, I don't know if that's the correct way of saying it. Um, and what you've done on on um, what you and, and your lab have done on this dormancy issue, where do you think we'll be in, in a rate of cure for um, this type of, of cancer? So that's a great question. And something that has really excited me is the fact that we've identified targets that are expressed in melanoma cells in age versus young patients that make them more responsive to cancer therapy. So, you know, in melanoma, there is an oncogene called the BRAF oncogene that is mutated, and we have drugs that target that specific mutation. And you would kind of think that it wouldn't really matter what environment those cells were sitting in if you have one mutation, one drug that targets that mutation, everything else, you know, shouldn't matter. But it turns out it does matter because of the different inputs that the different microenvironments are giving those cells. And we identified a few years ago um, in a really nice study conducted by Gretchen Alisea, who was a graduate student at the time in my lab, and she found that the melanoma cells sitting in an age microenvironment would upregulate this receptor that could take lipids into the cell and when the cells did that, they were able to resist this targeted therapy. And so that is a molecule that we're now trying to target in the clinic because the, the experiments preclinically have been so dramatic and so exciting um, that we're hoping in just a couple of years we'll be able to target that molecule, treat patients with um, an inhibitor to that molecule called FATP2, and um, also treat them with the BRAF MEK inhibitors that we have available. And by doing that and combining the standard therapies with some of these new targeted therapies, we hope to overcome the resistance we currently see and provide options for patients who may not be able to get immunotherapy because we do have a significant amount of patients who are not eligible for immunotherapy due to other ongoing immune um, you know, immune competent or incompetent situations they may have. You've been listening to a very brief discussion on what is contained in a wonderful, and I, I say wonderfully intriguing book, Is Cancer Inevitable? Um, by uh, Ashani, and I'm going to spell her name out, 
W-E-E-R-A-R-A-T-N-A, who is at Johns Hopkins, and as you have heard, has done, um, and her lab has done, groundbreaking research in identifying some of the factors that make cancer more likely, but as she has spelled out, maybe not inevitable um, in people as we age. And maybe being able to identify what it is in this aging process that we can uh, reverse. Um, so just like we talked with uh, Dr. Chan about um, things we can do to improve our immune T-cell function, that is the ability to uh, kill cells that are miscreant or um, that shouldn't be there uh, or that are foreign. Um, this is another approach, and, and it speaks to the what I would call the exponential increase in scientific knowledge that will change, I think, that is likely to change um, lifespans and society in the next decade. And I can't thank you enough, Dr. Wurtin Ratna. Jeez, I am really killing it. Ashani, I can't thank you enough, Ashani, for uh, stimulating at least uh, me and I'm sure many of the listeners um, to uh, read more about this. They can get that in the book, Is Cancer Inevitable? And, of course, you can also go to her laboratory um, which is uh, located at Johns Hopkins, but go there, obviously, via the Internet. Uh, and certainly, if you know of bright young people who are interested in this field, this is a, um, as you've heard, will be, is and will be a great mentor for the best and the brightest. You've been listening to You, the Owner's Manual podcast I'm Dr. Mike Roizen, and our sponsor, as always, is Life's First Naturals. I've got to thank Caitlin for engineering, and of course, you for downloading us. You're the reason we do it, and as we say every week, 50,000 of you can't be wrong. Um, so thanks very much for downloading us, and tell your friends about this one. It is 1088B, a wonderful interview. Thank you.